This is Ways of Life and I'm Krista Wells, here today with author and speaker Justin McRoberts, whose fifth book, It Is What You Make of It, was released this summer. I say Justin is an author, but he has also been and is many other things, a performing songwriter, coach, podcaster, pastor, husband, father, engaged neighbor, activist, Uh, He can tell us what else. (laughs) I had the pleasure of first interviewing Justin this spring on a summit centered around joy and sorrow. I was immediately drawn to Justin's honest and direct, but also nuanced ways of interacting with subjects we might consider tricky, like theology, depression, identity. So let's jump in. Yes, please. Justin, thanks so much for making room here in Nashville. Glad to do it. Um, glad to have you at my table. This is the first time I've interviewed anybody in person. Oh, really? No, no. I did interview Bruce Roberts on his farm, walking around with a little <laughs> Zoom recorder, which was very fun, but usually... On a farm is very in person. It was yes. very in person. I did come home with 16 ticks on my body. Oh, see, look how... That's very... That's it, it's, an, it's called an embodied experience. <laughs> you had an embodied experience. Very embodied, more than I've ever experienced before. It's very good. Um, so congratulations on the release Thanks. of your book. I I cannot even imagine what that feels like, in a, in a sense, because I, although I've done musical projects, book books feel like a whole other thing. I I just shared some poems this year and that was just felt so bite-sized. And Hmm. I think about writing entire, like multiple chapters. Yeah. It's rather intimidating. I try not to think about it that way, actually for the, no, on the real, for, for that very reason. Like I, I don't. And even when I'm talking to or coaching authors, Uh artists, authors, I really do ask people as best they can to, move away from thinking about writing a book mm. just what write should they do instead? just write just write just write and then like if it turns into something that has like a book shape to it great uh, but like books just have like this there's like a gravity yes. to the image of like the finished book and there's like a I've experienced this for me and I watched this particularly in, in younger uh, artists like there's you don't want to I don't. I think I want to say this as a general principle. It can. Be, I'll say it like this. It can be really dangerous to decide what a thing's going to look like before you finished it. Mm. So what a book is for a lot of folks has very specific shape, definition, yeah. sometimes length. Where folks are like it needs to be 150 pages plus. I'm like, who says? Yeah, it does. Like why? Right. Why is that the case? Right. But like you have this idea, and so instead of writing whatever it is you're writing, and treating your soul and your material with respect, you're trying to, like, it's like a homework assignment. It's got to be this many pages, it has to be the ball, and now I'm, like, writing towards completion as opposed to writing for joy or for yeah. whatever. So I honestly, <clears throat> books have this very different feeling because of the, like, there's more, there's less flexibility mm-hmm. with, like, the finished project. Yeah. Like, music, it's like, I'm going to release a two-song EP. People are like, rad. Like, yeah. you don't even have to They're call it a single. It's a two-song EP. <laughs> or I'm going to release a, a nine-song EP. Right. Or, a, like, or like, a double record. And people are like, rad, whatever you want to do. Yeah. There's all this flexibility with music and what you do. You can drop a single. You can drop 17 signals in a, singles in a year. And people are like, oh, cool. Right. You didn't have to make that as a record. Especially nowadays. Especially <laughs> nowadays. But if you dropped 17 
single essays in a year, people mm-hmm. are like, what the hell are you doing? Like, right. that's supposed to be a book. There's this gravity to the book thing that makes it feel different. Yeah. So I try not to think that way because I don't that like... makes a lot of sense. I don't like the tests. I don't, I don't test. I didn't test well in school. Like, okay. I don't want to clear bars. I just want to do the stuff that's in my guts and then... Ugh, I'm so similar. And in fact, even with records, even though <laughs> it's perfectly acceptable and very, very common for artists to write a record like I'm this is my season to write a record I already know the theme I've never done that myself yeah I just write songs and then when I feel I have something some songs that belong together yep and it feels like a season for me to record then I'll then wrap it up yeah I don't ever know what it's going to be called until after I've chosen the songs and I kind of find that common thread so I that's really interesting to me and your new book is if I understand correctly, it it is fifteen different stories. Stories, yeah, right? and they're all they're stories I've been telling for years, and okay. they have enough. They're more, not more appropriate. They're um, they're always appropriate. They are, I would suggest, particularly helpful now. I agree. a whole lot of reinvention happening. Okay, I want to actually share a, dis, a an excerpt from your webpage about this book because I love this so much. Um, It says, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence that simply is what it is. Justin McRoberts invites you to embrace a new mindset. It is what you make of it. And then skipping forward, love doesn't just win. Mercy doesn't just triumph. And light doesn't just cast out shadow. Rather, Such renewal requires the work of human hands and hearts committed to a vision of a world made right, or at least a little better, which I love. Um, This just resonates so much with me personally and in my journey, but I imagine, like you said, it couldn't be more timely because everyone is kind of startled by what has been given to them right now. And they're there is a, a choice to be made. It yes. is what it is or it is what I make of it. So yeah. sh- share more about what that's meant to you, why sure. that is so important to you. Um, I have a, a particular disdain for the phrase, it is what it is. Um, I think it does, a f- because I think it does a few um, acts of disservice, if not injustice. The dominant one, one is that it truncates growth. Um, so it is what it is, uh, is a way to say, I, I feel it's a, it, it's a cheap way to say you feel powerless. Mm-hmm. And specifically I'm, I'm an, I'm a straight white male, right? So uh, people like me are used to, uh, power. Mm-hmm. And if I feel powerless against something, I don't want to confess that. So what I want to do instead is I want to blame that on the world around me. So what I say is I project my powerlessness and say, it is what it is. I can't move that thing because it is immovable, as opposed to I can't move that thing because I'm not capable. The reality is like, I'm just not capable. So with like, so it truncates growth in me. And I'll come back to that in a second. But also, uh, it also... Um, bypasses like agency and and complicity so with something like systemic racism or misogyny those are things about which it's very easy to say perhaps far more comfortable to say as a white male it is what it is 
but it's not. Mm. It is what has been made. So racism seems like a monolith. It really does. It's just in the, you know, it's just in us. It's just in society. It's in the systems. No, it really actually isn't. Actual racism has, doesn't have to do with, particularly to do with bias, has to do with power. Mm. And racism, racist structures have been <laughs> executed, designed, and implemented by people in power over the course of years and years and years. And so now it seems like a monolith. What I have to end up doing if I want to be responsible is like it isn't what it is. It is what I uh, I have and what we have, people like me, have made of it. The confession of powerlessness yes. begins the process of actual change. The other part of it is exactly to recognize like <clears throat> systemically <laughs> um, nothing in the world simply exists because it was nothing in the world simply exists at this point specifically with regards to systems and like relational structures, exists what it is because it was downloaded from on high and this is the way it's been dictated by divine decree. That's just not a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, agency, will, power, all of these are the games that we're actually playing. Mm-hmm. And to say it is what it is, it doesn't, I don't just project my powerlessness onto the object around me. I then become one more religious cat who like flips the script and says, well, God has done this. Mm. And that's really shitty theology, and it's really dangerous religion to ascribe to God things that God has not wrought. Yes. So I don't like the phrase at all. And another side of that that is pretty common is, well, it's a broken world. Yes. Broken world. It is what it is. It's <laughs> it just is what the, it is. the world happens to be broken. Yes. That like, no, it's not. Crazy. Your dad was an asshole. That's different. <laughs> right. right. I get that you feel that. That's your. I totally understand the feeling. Yeah. But it's not like the world is just a broken world. Like, no, your dad was unkind. Yes. It's just a broken world. No, 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 no. Like, you're, you're, the educational system that you were dragged through as a kid mm-hmm. misinformed you. Right. Like, we're not in, you know, we're not in uh, what David Dark would call righteous relationship uh, because I'm not recognizing or confessing the actual relational, relational dynamics that really do set the tone. It's not just a broken world. It's one of the gifts of, it really is, is theoretically one of the gifts of the original Hebrew scriptures is it's not like the whole, it is, you know, uh, the confounding thing people find in, in the Genesis um, uh, mythology is this, this choice, this decision that someone makes to like ruin it. Like, what are you doing? Like there's what you could do the one wrong thing. Yeah. And you fucking do. Like, <laughs> yeah. what is that? One of the gifts of that narrative is to re- is like the recognition of like, no, that's a choice you made. Like the world is not just a broken place. All of these things can be traced to choices. Mm-hmm. All of them. So I like that narrative for that very specific reason. Yeah. It's a decision. Why? <laughs> I can't really tell you exactly why it is like I do those things, but I do have to confess that it happened because we chose it. So interesting because it's it seems or what I feel like I'm hearing is that um, in the confession of a sense of powerlessness we regain some power. Yes. To that's your, where we your actual your actual power. Actual power. I mean, you think about again. Think about the the civil rights movement uh, in the United States, and you think about now monolithic figures like Malcolm X, who wasn't just a black male but a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Talk about a position of powerlessness, right? right? Except that what he, the, his power was to recognize 
his powerlessness, Mm -hmm. to recognize the position he was in. And once he had that, he knew what power he did have on him. And then he was capable of and willing to wield what power he had on him. That's what made him powerful. Same thing with King. Same thing. I mean, the Rosa Parks story is exactly that story. Like, what does she have to bring to the table? She has this singular act that sets fire to an entire movement. That's the singular act of power she had, and she executed it. Right. It's the it is the uh, <laughs> it is the the you know the seven thousand hungry people and the you know the five loaves moment. It's mm-hmm. like what do you have? No, you don't have enough for that. You are powerlessness. So you're you're in you know you're in a position of powerlessness. So what do you have on hand? Right. Let's start there and see what we can achieve. Yes, it's overlapping with so many things that I've been reading and learning the last few years. And um, one of those things is how, which I was just speaking with, um, visiting a child in detention yesterday and um, talking about his sense of powerlessness. Hmm. Um, But specifically the undue suffering we create for ourselves and others in the resistance of what is real. Yeah. And so it's very interesting to to say, I don't want to feel powerless, so I deny that I am powerless. Yes. But instead, when we acknowledge that is my current state. Yes. But what do I have? Yeah. And so for, you know, someone in prison... I don't have power over my body, but I do have power over my mind. So what will I make of that? Yes. Um, it just is leading me to so many thoughts. By the way, your um, one of your the books that you created with Scott Erickson, yes, who some people may know as Scott the Painter. Um, I purchased a bunch of those for Christmas presents. This, oh, cool! That's really <laughs> this cool. This year, and I had one copy left of May It Be So, mm-hmm. um, which is a forty-day or journeying through the Lord's Prayer. Yes. And um, so anyways, that is now with a young man in a detention center because uh, it just is bite-sized. Yes. Digestible. You know, thanks for making me part of what you're doing. I love that so much. That's very cool. Um, So, okay. So how, what is the impact that you're, feeling this message is having so far. I bet you're having amazing conversations with I am. Uh, I've been doing this one-man show thing. It's like my third one-man show in the last like 10 or 15 years. And um, my favorite part of all of them has to do with like, I will engage like in conversation somewhere like mid-program. Yeah. And the specific conversations I'm having now with folks who are in, either in, they have been in seasons of reinvention and just... Yeah wouldn't have called it that right. um I, t- talking with uh um like during this is during the show talking with a gentleman who was like 63 64 who he said you know i i felt i, I have felt for like a decade that i'm supposed to be done but i didn't want to be done mm-hmm. and i don't want to be done i have ideas i have energy i want to do things um, those are the conversations that like I'm I'm hoping that the book and that the stories and the posture I'm prescribing in it um, gives permission uh, to folks um, which is like that's probably the best word for it like I want to give permission to folks like okay wait what what's actually in you like what's what's really here like what do you really have on hand what's what's actually stirring in you Let's make something out of that. And what what do you, have you witnessed as resistance to that? 
What's in people that keeps them from? Uh, I mean, the big answer is almost always fear. Mm-hmm. The relational answer is that because because fear is such an easy sell, pretty much every system, every system of power, economically, religiously, culturally, um, banks on that fear mm-hmm. and sells to you that, yes, you are incapable and therefore let us do it. You're not capable of holding your own religious life together. Mm-hmm. So... Let's let this white male, mm-hmm. uh, like, set the tone, and so we go to churches with that across the United States. Like, something along the lines of sixty-eight percent to seventy percent of uh, attendees mm-hmm. um, in, you know, in mainline evangelical spaces are women. Six or seven percent of those pulpits are filled by women. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a really terrible power dynamic. Um, but the system has suggested that because of your place in life or because of your gender or your sexuality, like you're not in a position to make decisions about right. what's true or right about God yeah. in your own life. So the big, the, you know, the, the broad answer is fear. Yeah. The systemic relational answer is like you really are regularly being sold particular conclusions about who you are in relationship to your fear. And I try to, without being a jerk about it, I try to go after those stories and say, okay, let's talk about, let's talk about faith. Let's talk about art. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about relationships. Let's talk about commerce and try to give you permission to recognize your own power in these places so that you can make better decisions. I love that so much. And I love that you said story too, because I think that's a word that we've been, you know, many of us have been talking about and thinking about the last few years. And um, in fact, I'm releasing a podcast this week with my friend, Johanna Middleton, who's a storyteller. And we were talking about the impact of stories on our lives. Yeah. Um, the stories we hear as children and two kids can hear the same story, but receive it differently. Yes. You know, the message is received very differently. Yes. And um, that story of it being bad to ever admit or shameful to be powerless, to feel powerless, yes. is a story that we take a lot of, that affects us. Yeah. And then um, the stories we are sold about what our limitations are in life. Yes. Pretty powerful. So um, I love the so much the concept of this book because I'm very interested in, um, like this podcast is called Ways of Life, which mm-hmm. was inspired by Joseph Campbell's quote about um how we really are deeply after the experience of being alive yes so going back to your book i feel like so much of our ability to feel alive is exercising our own agency yes in the world realizing that we have impact you know you don't have to be a a celebrity to make an impact like you mentioned rosa parks earlier and that even just the act of having being confronted with a problem or a crisis or mm-hmm. something, and that act of laying out on the table, what do I have? Yes. What am I going to make of this? Because at some point, it's all crisis. Mm-hmm. That's right. Like, it's it's all crisis. It's all, I mean, it's all crisis. It's all, de- de- depending on how you look at it, it's all crisis. It's all dilemma. It's all problem solving. Yeah. It's like, it's all mystery. Right. It's there, like a puzzle that there, can be put together and then in there, infinite ways. There are moments in which I feel capable uh-huh. and moments in which I don't feel capable. Right. And so because it's all crisis, there's always a problem to solve. There's right. always a thing to be done. Always. Right. 
And then we come into moments where like, I'm either tired or something I didn't expect. And then I'll call it crisis. Right. Right. Yeah. So one of the key, well, and I'll say, and I'll finish by saying this. And the thing that I want, uh-huh. <laughs> the thing that I want to know, I think this is true. I'll say this is about me. I think, and I, and I do project this a little bit on the world around me. The thing that I want to see in crisis is, is like, yes, I want problems to be solved, but I also want to know that I'm capable of doing that. What yes. I really, what I'm really actually after, and this is what Campbell was doing with, with, with this was like, it's not just like you think that the world is busted and you want to make it right. It's like you want to feel like an agent of change. Like you want to feel alive in that. So one of the key stories in the book is um, my my son uh, had ordered a, a Lego set that uh, there were 74 pieces theoretically, but it came with only 72. So there were two missing bricks, which we didn't know once we got started. And we didn't know it uh, when we got started, but like 10 minutes into the thing, we look up and like we we recognize like we're missing some bricks. So we think we lose them. We can't find them because of course life is supposed to hand you all the right pieces, right? <laughs> life is supposed to hand you everything you need. It never does. Uh, so we can't find the damn pieces. And then um, we recognize like it's not just it's not just that we lost them, it's like it, they, didn't, they didn't come. They're not in the kit. And it happens every once in a while with Lego. Sure. They'll send a kit without all the pieces. So my son does a really important thing, uh, which was he got up and he went to the kitchen and poured himself a glass of water. And then very, I'm pretty sure he's an Enneagram for He walked to the window, sat down in the window, and like just sipped on his water, looking out into. <laughs> it was actually raining. Uh, of looking at right, he's sitting out in the rain. <laughs> It was a moment. It was like you will write a story about this for a book. Here's the rain, and uh, so he sits there and he gives. He gave, and this is the way I write it in the book. Like he gave sadness its moment because if you don't, and this is the confession part, if you don't give sadness its moment, and boy, don't we know this, uh, it will just steal that moment mm-hmm. from some other place. So, insofar as like sadness is a part of life, grief is a part of life, pain is a part of life. If you don't give sadness, grief, anger their moments, they'll just come steal them mm. from other places. And then like every relationship is like, why are you, why are you such a bummer? Like, cause you know, so, <laughs> um, so he gives sadness a, a few minutes. I join him and then having been bummed, uh, part of what happens is, uh, like my brain gets clear cause I'm not fogged up by, I'm not fighting off being upset about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I gave it a minute and then I was like, you know what, actually, I have a bunch of other bricks, and I don't know if there's anything that will work, but we'll find out. Mm-hmm. So I went and got my old bricks, like these old Lego bricks, and we start tinkering around. Yeah. And the end of the process, you know, it takes a lot longer because these are not the pieces that were supposed to come with it. And it doesn't look like the box, right. which is the intention of buying the kits, right? <laughs> you got you buy the kit, you finish it, and it looks like it does in the box. Right. Um, but it was more special. Because there was more us in it. Right. Like we see this thing. He still has it on his shelf. Um, we see ourselves in this. Yeah. It can be really helpful to have like, you know, bars of clear and systems that like put everything in their exact place. Mm-hmm. But only insofar as it trains our muscles for particular emotions so that when the time comes, I can use those muscles. I can use those talents to create something that actually looks a little bit more like me. 
That um, is amazing. That's the like the thing I want. I don't want to just have solutions. And this is like this is I know some folks will sound this sounds egocentric, but it's not. I think this is just I think this is actually essential human nature. I don't just want there to be solutions to problems. I want the solutions to look a little bit like me, mm. specifically in my world. Right. And that's not a bad thing. Right. That's actually that's actually a good thing because you're the gift that God's trying to give anyways. Yeah. God's not just using you to try to try to solve problems. Like God's offered you right. in these spaces, so it should look like you. It should have your fingerprints all over it. Well, folks, I have nothing more to say. <laughs> that is just such a beautiful. So that's one of the fifteen stories. Yes. In the book, man, I cannot re- wait to read the rest of this. Good. Um, but I love that because I, I personally, one of the things I harp on most and, and build my life and work around is uh, encouraging people to exercise creativity, yes, creative expression, whether or not they consider themselves, quote, artists, because I do feel like one of the main problems is, and you've really articulated it for me because I, I hadn't um, in quite this way, the sense of powerlessness that we don't like yes. to acknowledge if we start there. And then we begin to create something, anything. I just consistently see people, when they enter into creative play of any kind, that something inside them ignites. Yes. And that is, to me, what aliveness is. Whereas maybe 10 years ago, I would have defined aliveness as happiness. And it's definitely not that only. No. How? So in all the different um, uh, areas that you exercise your creativity, Uh, What do you see as the common thread that runs through it that is for you personally and you're wired the most life-giving, igniting? Helpfulness. Um, My, which I reckon this is, which I recognize now as like part of my personal maturity Mm -hmm. is um, because I test as an Enneagram 4, my, like my initial phase of creative expression is very expressive. Uh, and it's just like I'm just emoting and deal. Yeah. Um, and then I do if I do my work, um, if I do my real work, I I don't know what enneagram school you come from, but what I do, I, most of my work has been done in relationship to like the one. Okay. So everything for a one, everything has its place. Yeah. Like the one wants to know like what's the what's the point, what's the purpose, where does this, where does this thing go? Mm-hmm. So. If I do that work, then I recognize that my gifts, my talents, my passions, in fact, have purpose, can have purpose, can have place. And then if I recognize that, I can I can use those for the betterment of the world around me and for the people around me. Mm-hmm. And then my joy doesn't just come from like, you know, having expressed. Mm-hmm. It comes from this thing is true of me and I've made it available. And because I've made it available, you found it helpful. The joy I find now is it's not just feedback like, hey, I like your work. Mm-hmm. It's things quite literally like, I'm 63. I thought I was done. I don't want to be. you given me permission to not be done. Yeah. That's like, give me that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, I know we are um, needing to wrap up. So I want to ask you one last question that might seem off topic, but it is something I love to ask everybody. Yeah. And that is, what do you love about being you? I like that I'm funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like my actual genuine interest in people. 
I was at a, a showcase thing last night and um, the the one of the bands had wrapped up and uh, the keyboard player and the guitar player were grabbing uh, a drink at the bar. And like, I enjoyed the set, but I just, I really enjoyed the conversation. Like, I like that about me that like, it's not just like, hey, I'm gonna talk to the band or like, I have to have a conversation. It's like, I genuinely like talking with people. Yeah. I like that about me. I like that too. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. My pleasure. This has been awesome. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this ongoing conversation. If you're enjoying it, take a minute and subscribe, leave some feedback, and share it with a friend. Until next time, keep growing. my heart like the western shore.